Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine and conservation with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things it can do for people and the planet. My name is Kevin Polta. I'm a podcast host. I'm a professor. I'm a keynote speaker. I help my wife grow specialty crops. Um, but one of the things that's most important, it makes the biggest difference in my career is the question of communication, particularly around agriculture. The problem is, is that so many of the questions about agriculture, whether it's the methane emitted by livestock to genetically engineered seeds, to uh, what's being done on the land, to how food is produced, all of these questions are so important. And unfortunately, the command of the discussion has taken place in social media by people who aren't really qualified to discuss it. People who are non-farmers who are talking about farming. So when you get an opportunity to discuss the communication strategies and the benefits of engaging the public in that space, I always like to have them on because I think it makes for a really good podcast. And today is uh, probably my, so far, the most requested speaker, Zach, by the way. I think I've had maybe a dozen people recommend that I get you on. So uh, we're speaking with Zach Johnson. He is also known on YouTube as the millennial farmer. He's about, what, 10% of the millennial farmers. (laughs) Um, uh, There's actually quite a few of them, uh, but, but certainly a minority breed. And so welcome to the podcast, Zach. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, this is great. Are there a lot of like like millennial farmers from an age group uh, basis? You know, where where I'm at here in the upper Midwest, at least around my area, there there really are. Um, I don't I would say it's probably less than it was a couple generations ago, certainly. But uh, overall, at least in my area, there actually is quite a few younger farmers like me. Now, that's an interesting point because I, I, you know, we always have the perception, or we always hear that this is an older group and a, and, a, and essentially a dying breed. You know, the, the the American farmer is growing out of the profession, and that smaller far, well, that new farmers, younger farmers, are taking up larger landholding and larger operations because they can with more technology. And is that kind of true? Yeah, I would say that you know, there's definitely. Uh, less farmers now overall in the U.S. than there was when I was younger. Um, and like you say, the farms generally, there's less of them. But at least in the Midwest here, predominantly corn and soybeans in my area, they've gotten bigger. And like you say, that's mostly due to science and technology and how efficient we can actually be with these operations now. And, and where is your operation? We're in uh, west central Minnesota. So we're we're kind of right between, I tell people, we're between Fargo, North Dakota and Minneapolis. Um, so your, your operation is uh, corn and beans, or is that the meaning? Uh, meaning, <laughs> yeah, meaning soybeans to the average listener. Is is that what you majorly do? Yeah, that that's everything we do right now is uh, field corn and soybeans. 
Um, we have in the past, we've done some small grains, um, a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, kidney beans, edible beans back in the day, I guess you could say. Um, but right now it's pretty predominantly corn and soybeans. There's some sugar beets in the area. And, um, once you get not too far from us, maybe 15 miles, uh, to the Northeast, actually the soil changes a lot. And there's a lot of irrigation over there where they actually grow a lot more of the of the vegetable crops, the peas and the sweet corn and the potatoes and stuff like that. And when you say field corn, just because you know the audience for the podcast spans medicine and you know lots of other disciplines, what do you mean by field corn? Well, I, I mean you wouldn't want to grab the ears from it and uh, and boil them and eat it as sweet corn. It's a it's a drier corn. The uh, majority of our corn goes to either livestock feed or towards uh, ethanol production. Yeah, so what percentage do you think is actually going towards, uh, say, livestock versus ethanol? Well, it kind of depends on how you look at it. Um, on our operation alone, I would say with corn, um, we haul probably, oh, the last five years, I'll bet it's been between 80 and 90% hauled to the ethanol plant. Um, but what people forget or don't realize is how much of the byproduct is actually left after uh, they produce the ethanol. And then from that, the byproduct then is sold to the livestock producers. I see. So it's kind of one. And I didn't know that. I figured it went for one or the other, but that makes total sense. Uh, so the main thing that I wanted to talk to you about is your uh, YouTube channel and your desire to connect with the public about the, the process of farming, you know, ex the experiences you go through. And uh, so tell me first where people can find that if they're looking for it. Well, the main platform, like you said, is YouTube. You can go to YouTube and just search Millennial Farmer. Um, you'll find a lot of stuff, but you, you should be able to find my channel from there. Um, that's the main part. I'm also on Facebook and, um, and Instagram. I'm on TikTok, but not really. Um, I, I, I can't, I just haven't grasped that platform yet. I, I think I might be just on the upper cusp of being too old for that one. Yeah. I think that one belongs to a different group of people because I, I can't make an informative video that short, but I also don't know that how many are really giving me information. And once in a while, right. like something in engineering is kind of cool. Like they have a lot of, you know, how you you know, bend something with an industrial bender or something. I like those or, you know, how you pour a concrete skyscraper or something, but you know, in general, it's kind of a, you know, dead end medium in a way for what we do. It is, it is. Yeah. And it's, it's too easy. Actually, if somebody sends me a link to it and I click it, the next thing I know, it's been an hour and I need to get off TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I do. I know the feeling. Um, so I guess the other, oh, how many downloads or how many views do you get per week or per month? Ah, uh, that's a good, that's that, that varies a lot. I don't know the exact, I don't know how to answer that exactly. I know, I know I'm well over 200 million total views on YouTube. Um, and I also know that during harvest, that number the last three years has been from, uh, it probably averages about 20 million in the month of uh, October and November during harvest, which is our busy time. Yeah. And so if you could get a dollar per view, right? <laughs> if I could get a dollar per view, I'd probably would have been done on YouTube a while ago. Yeah, I, I always I always laugh about that. Like if if I had a penny per download, you know, it, it, just because it, you, you know you show how 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 much is actually there, and that's what I love about your channel is that you're able to create interest around the issues of farming, but you really do 
do like, you know, a day in the life of what's going on here. And it's all different, you know, things based upon current circumstances, whether it's harvest or, you know, preparing something or, you know, a neighbor needing assistance or whatever. But the thing that I really like the most about watching your stuff is it reminds me about how farmers have to be able to do everything. And that whether you're uh, changing the oil in a tractor or uh, putting a new wheel on something or whether you're uh, fixing electronics or fixing a stuck valve or, or whatever, you, you have to kind of be an expert in everything from construction to mechanics, right? Is that where, I mean, how, how, tell me about that. Yeah, there are definitely days and times where it seems that way. Uh, as we would say around the farm, you know, a lot of us are uh, we don't really know a whole lot about anything, but we know a little bit about everything. Yeah, I, I think I share that sentiment. I mean, I, 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 I over my my wife does specialty crops, and just every day I'm either repairing some electronics or uh, you know doing you know, look, testing a plant disease, or who knows. Every day it's something different. But I just like watching your stuff because you have such great equipment. I mean, such massive stuff. I mean, whether it's uh, the, you know, tractors in the field, the combines, all that stuff, but then also just the uh, operation around uh, the equipment that's required to run a grain operation and the, the size of it, you know, just the mass of that stuff is just so cool. And do you think that that is a limitation for people who want to get into farming, that it really has to be a semi-generational thing? I think it definitely makes it more difficult, and I hear a lot of that. But, you know, I also get a lot of questions from people wondering, they'll say, hey, I'm a first-generation farmer, or I want to be a farmer. How do I get into this? And one of the things I remind people of all the time is that, you know, you, you don't have to try to figure out how to go to the bank and, and borrow, you know, truckloads of money and figure out how to buy the biggest and the best machinery and farm 20,000 acres, you just really need a business plan. You don't, you don't have to start out where a lot of farmers are just because you see them on YouTube. There's a lot of uh, farmers with very small acreages and older machinery, maybe no machinery at all. Um, there's farmers who have, you know, a very small amount of livestock that do very well, particularly if they're able to cater to uh, niche markets and market themselves I think there's there's definitely money to be made and happiness to be found in multiple different ways. You don't just have to try to, you know, copy the guy that you see on YouTube. I think there's a lot of options out there. That's a really good point. I think they captured that well in the movie Heartland because they covered a variety of operations from from hogs to, you know, corn and beans to people who are doing smaller market uh, organic crops or whatever. Um, and, and I think the, the idea of that you brought up of it being a business plan is really step one and, you know, step one business plan, step two by dirt. Right. And, and it's a, uh, how much of this is a, how much of your time do you spend on the business of farming? We spend quite a bit of time. Uh, I would say, honestly, we spend as much time on the business as farming as we do, you know, driving tractors and turning wrenches. And that's one thing that my dad has always been big on that he instilled in me that, you know, sometimes there are times farmers are very, very proud, very hard workers, but sometimes you have to know when you need to work smarter and not just harder. There's a balance there. You have to, 
you know, start pushing the pencil and running the calculator and, and figuring out your, your financials and where exactly you're going and, and have a plan. And that's something that's always been really important on our farm. And, and that's another thing I really like about your channel and your operation is that you talk about, yeah, it's a family operation. I'm, uh, how, what generation are you in the farming operation? I'm actually the sixth generation. I thought I was the fifth. And then I learned some stuff here about a year and a half ago that, that uh, told me I was the sixth generation. So we've been farming here on the same land since uh, 1868. Yeah, but, but, but at the same time, you're very clear in saying like, this is the equipment that I bought and I just bought another how many acres over here. And really you have your um, elements and your, your contributions to growing this family business, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think um, that kind of came to me sort of partway through this channel. I think at first I was kind of, I don't want to say secretive about it, but I didn't want to get too deep into, you know, the personally the way that the farm works on the back end. But as I got farther into it, I started to realize that's something that interests people because they're they're wondering, you know, how does all this work? And And it goes, you know, it goes from one end to the other. I mean, there's people that can't believe the millennial could be running this type of an operation. And then there's other people who assume that I've had everything handed to me and never had to work for anything. And, the, you know, the truth is it's it, it's it's all right there really in the middle in, in trying to figure out how we get from one generation to the next. And I think that's actually something that concerns me a little bit is when the farms get bigger and things cost more money, whether it's soil machinery or whatever, you know, how do we make sure that the next generation who I want to be successful behind me with my children, how do I make sure that I set them up for success as well? You know, how are they going to be able to move in here and take this over when, when it hopefully will be a very large operation when I'm done. And I think that's an important point is that the scope of the technology really starts to become the equalizer that when you can, you know, plant, X amount of rows at, you know, such a spacing, or you can, you know, uh, you, you can handle it because you have GPS taking care of everything or, or at least, uh, guiding tractors and combines, things like that. Um, I think some places even have automated green carts to move along with a uh, combine these days. There's so many different, uh, advances that are happening that allow you to cut fuel and labor costs that maybe can allow this to keep going on. But maybe the biggest innovation, well, let me just go back to innovations, <laughs> talking about your equipment. I mean, that that's one of the best parts about watching your channel is the size and the, uh, the utility of the, of the equipment you guys run. And so tell me a little bit more about that. Like what's the coolest technology in terms of GPS or, you know, internet uh, enabled technologies in terms of equipment? You know, I, I don't even really know where to start. I guess my, my personal favorite that I like to brag about would be um, um, what we have set up now with the, the strip tiller. Um, and before that we had it on the deep bander. So this is something we've been involved in for oh, at least 10 years now. And what we're doing is we're using GPS. So there is a, a satellite receiver on the tractor and one on the implement that we're pulling. And it uses RTK um, GPS, which, which basically means that within the accuracy of well under an inch, this stuff is going to line itself up, make a perfectly straight line from one end of the field to the other. 
and uh, it, it's putting down our fertilizer in 30 inch spacings, which is the spacing we're going to come back and plant right on top of with the planter the next spring. And not only are we, you know, using that technology to, to be as accurate as possible in that regard, but we're actually cutting our fertilizer down by about 20 to 30% because we're being that accurate. So we're placing the seed right where that fertilizer strip is. And, and the seed is able to use it more efficiently once it finds that band of fertilizer. And not only that, but I'll go even further and say we're, we are testing these soils every few years to figure out what fertilizer it needs where. So each acre is getting applied exactly what it needs for the yield goals that we have on those acres. It moves up and down as I go across the field. In some parts, it will put on 200 pounds of fertilizer per acre. In some spots, it will put on zero. And... We're actually running that with three different types of fertilizer. So we're doing that with our nitrogen, with our phosphorus, and with our potassium. So, you know, the te- you look at that kind of technology and, and think about that. That's a, a long ways from, you know, grandpa running across the field with a chisel plow and, and just pulling into the field the next spring and planting. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but it just goes to show you the type of technology we have available to us now. Well, the other side of that is also the perception and the sustainability aspect that people who will say, uh, especially in the Midwest, there's too much nitrogen or too much phosphorus going into the ground. Um, You know, what if what are farmers doing to watch that? And the idea of putting the right amount in the right place at the right time, all of those, you know, the four R's, it's all about um, how how do you save the money? Because there's no farmer who likes to spend more money on fertilizer than could you have a rough idea on just a ballpark on how much you would normally spend on fertilizer on fertilizer for our acres we're about a 50 percent rotation so we're half uh corn and half soybeans um and i can say that we we paid for our fertilizer for 2022 in july so we've already paid for it um five months ago now and between dad and i uh, it, it was a couple hundred thousand dollars. And if we were to buy it now, it would probably be 300. Yeah. Yeah. The prices went up big time because uh, of, uh, yeah. But so that, that is, people don't appreciate that, you know, you're, and if it was up to you, I'm sure you wouldn't mind not spending $200,000 on fertilizer. Yeah. I really wouldn't mind at all having that cash in my pocket and being able to use it <laughs> right now instead of, Instead of putting it, uh, you know, at the co-op for four months and then they come out and, and, and help us put it into the ground and now it's sitting there under a blanket of snow and I've got to wait. Well, I won't even have a crop off of it until almost a year and then I'll probably put that crop in the bin. It'll be two years before I get the cash back from that and see that return. And that's if the weather cooperates. Yeah, don't make me any more nervous, Kevin. <laughs> But but I, I think the idea, you know, my my interest is really to exemplify for the audience that you guys are uh, that farmers are amazing business people, but at the same time take incredible risk every year because we don't know what's going to happen, and we have dry years and we have floods, and the Midwest has signature events all the time, and and this is just a when you look at how much money and how much time is on the line in food production, it's just amazing. I guess the, the the other thing I always notice about your videos is that your tools are way too clean. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when things are that expensive, you've got to take care of them. We we, we try to keep them clean. Uh, this year, it seemed like things came to an abrupt end, and uh, and I actually 
got sick for a couple of weeks. And next thing you know, now it's 17 below zero and we're covered in snow. So we didn't get anything washed at the end of harvest this year, if you can believe that. <laughs> You're a COVID survivor. I am a COVID survivor, but man, there were a few times there where I was wishing I wasn't. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, 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 I've heard a few accounts where it's been pretty bad. So you have any long-term symptoms? Or are you doing okay? I'm doing okay now. It, it actually uh, started about a week before Thanksgiving and it lasted, oh, it was about 12 or 13 days before I really was able to, I don't think I went outside for 10 days. Um, it, it was, I, I was pretty sick, but right now, um, I just kind of noticed the last four or five days now, it seems like my lungs have, have really come back pretty well. So I'm, I'm doing pretty well now. Ah, that's good news. So we're talking to Zach Johnson. He's the millennial farmer on YouTube, uh, has an outstanding channel with lots of views, who covers day-in-a-life look of his family's operation on a corn and soybean farm in western Minnesota. When we come back, we'll talk about biotechnology and some other issues on the farm. This is the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll be back in just a moment. Would your participation in social media save lives? Early in COVID-19, we thought the world would finally gravitate towards science and evidence especially in response to a global pandemic. However, from national leadership to conspiracy-plagued internets, it's clear we're suffering from an information pandemic as well. Now here at the Talking Biotech Podcast, we give you the information to battle disinformation around technology, as it applies mostly to agriculture and medicine. Information here allows you, the listener, to participate in broader discussions with confidence, helping to advance innovation to application. Today, all of us need to be engaging the copious nonsense that plagues social media, especially in the area of COVID-19. Crackpot claims, bad science, and poor quality publications only deepening the pandemic, at least here in the USA. Kudos to the rest of you. So this is a call to the science-minded. Identify who you can trust. Share their content on social media networks. Join the conversation. Gently and kindly refute false information. Remember, you'll never change the mind of someone unwilling to learn, but the internet is a spectator sport. Become the trusted source of information to help those that don't know who to trust. Help them realize who to trust and make better decisions that could ultimately save lives. Improving the world with a simple act of kind communication. That's what the Talking Biotech Podcast is all about. And your participation has never been more important. Now we're back on the Talking Biotech Podcast. We're speaking with Zach Johnson, and he's the millennial farmer on YouTube and runs a channel that describes uh, short videos, maybe 10 to 20, 20, 30 minutes sometimes, uh, about events that are happening on the farm to help people understand the magnitude of the operation and what actually happens. And I think it's really eye-opening, and I think every episode I watch, I learn something as a 
person who is familiar with what happens in that kind of farming, but doesn't do it and uh, doesn't uh, doesn't hang out around it. It's a really great oppor- opportunity to understand the complexities of the operation and 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 the magnitude of the operation. So, how many acres do you does your family farm? Uh, right now, we're about uh, twenty six hundred acres, a little bit over. Okay, so twenty six hundred, and that's relatively small, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it really depends on where you're at. And that's one of the big things I've learned in my travels. If you go, you go northwest of me a couple hundred miles and 2,600 is a hobby farmer. I mean, they're, they're looking at 10, 20, 30,000 acres up there in uh, Saskatchewan and, and uh, North Dakota, Montana, places like that. Um, there's other places you go where 2,600 would be huge. And I, I would say in our area, um, we're, we're probably, you know, we're above average, but if you climb up to the top of our grain leg and you look around, you can see uh, two, three, four that are bigger than us within eyesight. So, um, we're, you know, we're, we're a large farm, but um, there's a lot of them that are larger around us. Okay, well, help me understand this. So you're running this family operation, which is something that I'm sure consumes you seven days a week from sunup to sun, sundown and then past. Why did you start a YouTube channel? Well, um, I'm, I'm going to go all the way back to 2016, to the beginning of it. And I had had the idea for a couple of years, but I was always really hesitant. Um, people probably wouldn't believe that, you know, I'm not as much of an extrovert as one would think. You, you'd think somebody on YouTube with a couple hundred million views would, would never be shy, would never have an issue like that. But um, I, I'm, I'm a little more introverted than one would think, and I was pretty concerned about what, what the neighbors would think. Um, you know, what dad would think and, and if I would like it and what my wife would think. And I was worried about that. Uh, and actually in January of 2016, I went down to Orlando to the DuPont, uh, young leaders program. I think that was put on with the American soybean association and Kevin, you were there That's right. and you talked about, um, being active in, in some way to be, you know, a voice for the industry and how important that was. And I actually went up and talked to you after you were up on stage for a little bit. And, and I knew who you were before this. Um, I don't I don't know exactly how I found you, but I had been following you and I knew that you were going to be there. So I went up and, and I talked to you and there was some stuff there that really motivated me to kind of say, well, you know, who cares what, what the other people think? Go ahead and, and try it and do what you want to do. And um, a couple of months later, I actually saw, uh, you, you maybe know her, Katie Pinky out of North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Uh, she came to our local um, local County Corn and Soybean Growers Association uh, annual meeting and talked there. And kind of same thing. I ended up talking with her afterwards. And between you and Katie, um, you kind of motivated me to to just say, who cares? Go ahead and try it. And And I got the support of my wife and I brought it up to my dad ahead of time to make sure that he was okay with it. And and uh, it seemed like they really didn't have any issues with it. And uh, spring of 2016, before we got busy, I took the plunge and I thought, well, I'll I'll make videos throughout the summer and go through the growing season and and uh, we'll see. And if people enjoy it and I enjoy it, I'll continue on with it. And from there, it has completely snowballed into, you know, certainly something that I never could have imagined. And it, it just continues and keeps going. And, um, you know what? 
I'm not going to do it forever, but for right now, um, we're enjoying doing it. It's been a, a great, fantastic opportunity for us. I remember that now. I, 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 if you would have asked me before, if I remembered meeting you at that meeting, when you said the soybean meeting, I remember talking to you right after my talk. Um, and I, and I meet lots of people, but I remember this now and that's really, that's really great. I, I didn't know that. Well, well, cool. I, it wasn't a setup question. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't figure that it was, um, cause I, I hadn't had any communication with you since then. And, yeah. and, uh, yeah, I was, I was hoping I would be able to get that out in this interview here and let you know that. So I, I and I want to thank you for that. And also thank you for, you know, what you've done when it comes to, uh, all the work that you've done, whether it's talking about GMOs or doing stuff like going to those young leader programs where, you know, we know it's important and it can make a difference. Well, that's, that's, you know, that's the kind of fuel that keeps it going because I get incredible pushback for work, for working on communications topics and communication space, you know, from my university, from the leadership there who, who doesn't want me even doing it. Uh, to, you know, uh, from just social media in general, and it's much better than it used to be. But uh, I'm really starting to take more of those uh, roles again. Like I'm speaking to young farmers and ranchers in February and uh, another group in Illinois in uh, January. So it's happening again, and I'm really getting back to it, doing it all as work independent from the university, which is kind of sad. But, um, you know, that just really makes me happy to know that, uh, that, that we had that connection. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I guess the other big question, uh, you know, just to kind of give an idea for, you mentioned, okay, you did this. It's kind of anybody can do it kind of feel to, to this very organic feeling when you see it. If somebody out there wanted to take this on and maybe start doing, producing some media, whether it was a podcast or, or let's just say video like yours, what do they need? And it, you know, all, most of your stuff, it seems like you shoot at the end of your arm or a selfie stick, you know, how, what, what do they need to really get started? And are you doing the production or is somebody else doing the production for you? We do all of the production for the videos um, ourselves between my wife and I, at this point, she does 99% of the editing. Um, I really just do the the recording and then there you know at the level that we're at now there's a lot kind of in the background that comes along with that um things like this podcast and, and lining it up ahead of time stuff like that but it, the only thing we ever hire out is the editing of our uh podcast that we do with the off the husk podcast that really is just uh you know a really laid back casual podcast that we do with our buddies in the basement of our house um so we we hire out the editing for that um, but that's it. Everything else is done ourselves. As far as equipment goes, I think people tend to overthink it when they want to start. You know, you don't need a fancy, expensive camera. Um, when I started, my my very first video was with an iPad. And I used an iPad because I didn't realize that I could use the smartphone that was in my pocket. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I did not know that. And, and then I got chewed out because the iPad was standing straight up instead of tipped sideways. So it wasn't in the landscape view. So then I moved to the landscape view. Well, then I realized I could use my camera and or my cell phone. I mean, I could go right from the cell phone on the YouTube app and hit, uh, you know, hit record and upload right there. So I did that for a while. Then I realized I could download an app where I could actually piece together a few clips. Well, then I was really big time. Uh, it took an extra five minutes to piece those clips together. But then I'd throw that on YouTube and I was using my smartphone for everything. That was it. 
Um, my buddy was a was a, a GoPro dealer. He's got a little shop uh, in town, and he happened to be selling GoPros at the time. So I got a GoPro from him, and then I had to use YouTube to teach myself how to use the GoPro, and then I had to use YouTube again to teach myself how to use the editing software uh, that I bought from the local computer place. And I just walked in there and I and I talked to the guy and said. I need something that can edit videos. I don't know what it is. They're nothing fancy, but I need a computer with software on it that'll do videos. And from there, we really haven't gone far from there. We, we edit it all right on the, on the computer, in the office, ourselves. Um, I still use a, a GoPro for a lot of things, but um, I am using a, a different camera now simply because uh, GoPros are glitchy and the, their audio is not very good, but it's nothing fancy. I think it was, uh, I think it's $600. Um, and I do, I do run over and wreck, uh, four or five of those a year. Um, <laughs> so you've got to be a little bit careful with it, but, um, you just, you don't have to overthink it. You don't have to jump in with $10,000 worth of equipment, try it with your smartphone or your GoPro and, and see if it's for you. You know, you can go from there. A lot of times it seems to me like the videos that aren't super fancy are the ones people like, because they can get that feeling of, of realism through them and they know that they're authentic. I'm with you. And, and short is good too. And anybody who could make a video that just describes a process these days, I mean, it's, I, I don't know if you do this too, but anytime I have a problem on something, it's like, first thing I do, go to YouTube. Even if I think I know how to do it, I always look to see how somebody else does it so that I can see if there's some little nuance or neat little trick I can do that's going to save me problems. And uh, like right now, I'm trying to f change a fuel pump on an old Ford tractor, right? a 72 Ford uh, 4000. And I can't find a video to do it. And I'm having all kinds of problems. I wish someone would have done it. So guess what? I'm going to do it <laughs> once I figure it out. But, there you go. <laughs> but this is the kind of thing that uh, anybody who's out there who's listening, where in the days where we need to be controlling the perception of agriculture, it's so important for you to show your operation. And I tell this to so many farm audiences is that, you know, someone else is telling your story and you need to be out there telling your story. You know, and, and so that's, you know, that that's where you are and, and you do it really well. What was the biggest surprise so far? Oh, aside from just, I guess, being at the level where we're at, which is a, a huge surprise. Um, you know, I would say one of the things that I was was ready to do was to de defend myself when it came to things like, you know, GMOs and and irrigation drain tile and using pesticides. I expected pushback on that stuff, and and it it's really not there for me. And and I don't know why that is. Um, maybe I don't harp on it a lot, but I try to bring light to it when we're when we're doing those things when we're planting GMOs and. And, uh, and using pesticides and installing drain tile, I talk about why we use those management practices and what the benefits are. And I don't get a lot of pushback on that. What does surprise me is the pushback that I get, it almost all comes from other farmers who don't like what I'm doing. <laughs> and that is not what I expected at all. Your disc to ripper ratio is insane. You know, like, like what? Like what? <laughs> you just get like kind of like angry emails about the, the way you're cultivating or what, what do you <laughs> I do get angry emails about people that don't like the fact that we till our soil here. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I get angry stuff about that. Um, but I think most of it comes from, you know, they, they see the guy on the internet getting a lot of attention 
and it makes them very upset. And I and I don't think they even understand that. I, I and I hate saying it, but I think it's jealousy there. They just don't they don't like another farmer getting that kind of attention. And instead of going out and and doing something about it themselves, which they would have the option to do, they get upset with me and they'll, you know, they'll throw me under the bus for whatever they can to, to discredit me. And you know what? And that happens everywhere, even with, uh, science podcasts, <laughs> I found out, um, you know, but, but, but the funny part is, is that they could do it and I would promote them. And if another farmer were to start YouTube, they could use the audience that you've built to popularize their stuff because I'm sure you would promote what they're doing. And this is one thing that people have to understand is that this isn't a competition. We're on the same team here and we're not trying to promote Zach's YouTube channel. We're trying to change the way that the person who knows nothing about farming views farming. And that takes everybody's effort. And, and so it's there, maybe that's really the big message is how do we get more people to do this? Yeah. And I think to that point, I honestly, I, I think there are a lot more people doing it. If you go on YouTube now and you, you really dig into, you know, farming on YouTube, it's out there, man. There are a ton of channels that have, that have popped up in the last uh, five, six, seven years. And I don't know that it has anything to do with me, but they're out there. There are guys running around and girls running around with, with cameras on their farms showing stuff that I can't show because I don't have livestock and, and we farm differently up here in Minnesota than, you know, somebody does in Montana, Arizona, the Central Valley of California or Florida. Um, so there's there's a lot out there now, a lot of farmers doing it. And I think it's great because it really shows the diversity of it. And we can get the word out on different types of agriculture and not just, you know, corn and soybean farming in the upper Midwest. Now, I agree with you a thousand percent. You mentioned the, the question of GMOs and the question of genetic engineering. Are just about all the seeds that you grow on your on your operation uh, treated seeds? The majority of them, yes. I don't recall in your episodes. Are there any where you've taken that issue on exactly where you've said this is why we use them, or do those resources exist? I so in a lot of videos, particularly in the in the spring when we're planting, when we've got the seed there and we're working with the seed, I will mention that it is. Uh, GMO seed or genetically engineered seed. And and I will explain why we use that. Um, I can't point you to any videos recently that are, that's that way because it's, it's more of a, you know, in passing mention. I don't want to shove it down people's throats, but I want them to see, you know, here's the farmer and he's working with it and he's telling me why he's using it. And, and I don't want to get too, you know, into the weeds with it and, and sort of turn them off to it and think that I'm really pushing it. Um, I did... I did do a a video where I directly address GMOs, but it was very early on. It's a very boring video, but I went through uh, the science that I know about GMOs and why we use it, and um, I did get a little bit of pushback from that from that video. I didn't have a lot of viewers yet, so it was nothing like what I would get if I did it now. Um, but also, it, it would be quite a bit different now if uh, if I were to do that style of video again. It's a good thing you do that in a very uh, low key way. And I think it's, that's why it didn't come to mind that there, that it was mentioned because it's just weaved in, you know, I mean, and I've seen so many of your videos and just didn't recall any specific mention, but that's, um, it's good to know that, that, that actually your approach probably makes more sense. It's another tool on the farm. 
It's another thing yeah. you use to make money and keep the operation going, saves you money, good for your space. It's with the choice that you make as a farmer, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So that, that, that actually is probably a better strategy than, than addressing it specifically. And it fits the format of your, uh, of your, uh, videos a lot better too. So, so what's next? What are you, uh, planning to do in the next couple of years? And do you think you're going to keep rolling with the video, with the YouTube channel, or do you imagine other kinds of media or what do you think? Well, I imagine the YouTube channel going for, um, probably a couple of years yet. Uh, and from there, you know, I don't have anything specific as far as what the, what the actual goals really are. I mean, this whole thing, we've had to be flexible with it all along and, and it's turned into something we never expected. So I would hope that something would come uh, more long-term, but I don't think that's going to be, you know, making YouTube videos for the next 20 years. Um, I don't know what it is. I, I would hope there'd be an opportunity out there, some sort of a connection to be able to do something within the, you know, the entertainment or media space that would be related to agriculture. But exactly what it is. I, I'm still not sure. We're going to keep making the videos for now and, and we're going to keep kind of casually making the podcast and see where it goes. No, real good. I mean, do you, have you gotten any feedback that you actually have changed somebody's view or somebody's perception? Oh yeah. Uh, constantly. Um, there's been several emails like that, but, um, you know, where you normally get that is in the, in the comment section on YouTube and I wouldn't recommend spending too much time in the comment sections on YouTube, but uh, I do get comments, you know, from from people every day that are uh, sitting, you know, somewhere halfway across the world or in uh, L.A. or Atlanta or Chicago or wherever. And and all of a sudden they'll 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 tell me something about how, you know, they never had any interest in farming, but all of a sudden they're obsessed with this channel. And now they're watching all the other channels, you know, Larson Farms and Welker Farms and and all these other channels that have come along that are talking about farming and, and they start watching this and um, it becomes their, you know, their new reality TV shows that they love. And um, I've got several comments that that stand out to me as far as people explaining to me how, you know, to them, farming was kind of a foreign thing done in a foreign place because they live in the big city and don't give it a whole lot of thought. And uh, they always just kind of expect the groceries they want to be there. And all of a sudden now they can see where this stuff comes from and, and who the families are that produces it, you know, when it starts from right. I mean, maybe it sounds cliche, but it, it all does start right from the soil. And uh, and they get to see that uh, from the ground up, I guess you could say. And so it is really cool to get comments like that and, and understand, um, you know, that that there are people watching that really are, are taking it all in. Well, you mentioned that you're a sixth generation You've got a seventh generation on site. How much interest do your kids show in farming? And would you like them to be farmers? And what are you doing to encourage or steer them in that direction? Uh, you know, they, sh they sh definitely show interest in the farm, um, particularly my oldest, who is the boy Onyx that you see on the videos a lot. He's been out um, running tractors quite a bit, and uh, he enjoys the busy times of year. And, but but he's a he's a 12 year old boy so he's very very laser focused on seems like one thing at a time um right now it's uh downhill skiing and ice fishing 
uh, which I guess is two things. But, you know, seasonally, he'll jump from stuff like that to uh, laser focused on baseball or hockey or, or farming or um, he, we, we actually are building him uh, a new racing go-kart right now. So he kind of jumps around, but um, I think I think the way to encourage them, honestly, is involve them in it and and let the curiosity grow and show them, you know, what you're doing and, and let them be a part of it and, and let them learn right there on the farm. Um, my youngest girl, Isla, she's only six, but she shows a lot of that potential. You know, she wants to come out and hang with dad on the farm probably more than the other two ever do. So um, I, w- I would hope, I'd be hopeful that um, at least one of them will have an interest in in taking over the operation, but at the same time, you know, if, if they don't, uh, they don't. And I, and I guess probably like any other parent, I would just hope that they find whatever makes them happy. No, that's a great answer. And, and I'm going to go a little bit on a tangent here since you mentioned it. Um, using spikes or wigglers on the ice fishing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm lucky I have friends that enjoy ice fishing because I don't care for it. Oh, really? Oh, I totally <laughs> love it. And I'm, I'm stuck in Florida. So I don't get a chance ever. And I used to love going. I was in Wisconsin before I came to Florida and Illinois before that. And we used to fish, we used to ice fish think, the day after Thanksgiving. We'd be out on just like an inch or two of ice. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we used to do it. And then, and then um, I've fallen in the Shawamagon Bay up in northern Wisconsin up to my waist, <laughs> about eight miles out on the ice. You know, we, we've done a lot of dumb stuff out on the ice. But I had to mention just because I when you mentioned it, because that's, you know, your state has a lot of great ice fishing. But anyway. Oh, and and, and we are in a hot spot for it. Um, we, we're right on the edge of what they'd call the lakes area here. I mean, there are there are lakes everywhere. We don't have any straight roads because we have so many lakes to go around. So it's everywhere. You know, it's not that I don't necessarily enjoy it once we're out there and we're fishing, but um, I don't want to have to deal with the fish house being out there when a blizzard comes through and you either got to get it out or get it up or you end up with it stuck. And every time you go out there, you got to redrill the holes and get the heat going. And I mean, it's 17 below right now. So I don't, I, you know, I can just sit here and do podcasts with a guy in Florida instead. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, it was actually kind of funny because when I used to do the majority of ice fishing I've done in my life, I've been in Florida for 20 years. When I used to do a lot of ice fishing, I had zero money. So I used to have a, a manual hand auger and no ice house. I had a bucket and we used to sit out on the ice, you know, minus one, minus whatever. We froze to death so many times. I, it was a good time though and caught some really cool fish through the ice. So anyway, but I had to mention, but but uh, Zach Johnson, thank you so much for joining me. And I you know, really encourage people to look at Millennial Farmer uh, on YouTube and uh, best wishes going forward. And thank you very much for joining me today. Hey, same to you, Kevin. I really appreciate it. And thank you very much for listening to another episode of the Talking Biotech Podcast. Check out Zach's YouTube channel. Uh, Really would appreciate it if you did that. And uh, uh, take a good look at how he does it. And if you're somebody who is a farmer, consider what you could add to add your story to that tapestry of information that's present in that medium. That's the number one search engine in the world is YouTube. Be there. And, you know, just like Zach is, really encourage you to do that. So this is the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week. The Talking Biotech Podcast reflects the personal views of Dr. Kevin Fulta and its guests. 
These are not the views of the University of Florida, its faculty, staff, or students. But after all, it is science, so they probably are. But it has to be clear that there is no university affiliation with this podcast. Which is a damn shame, but I guess that's how it goes. So feel free to share this science communication effort. Recommend guests. And support us if it's a few shekels over on Patreon. We invest all funds back into promotion of the podcast to widen the audience, enhance production, and expand science communication efforts in many ways. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.